0: Hello and welcome to the Football Outsiders Data Show. I'm your host, Vincent Verheye. Joining me as always, FO Editor-in-Chief Aaron Schatz, FO Contributor Writing, Contributing Writer Brian Knowles. for me to say, uh, hope you all had a good Christmas weekend, a good Christmas week, and hope you uh, weren't spending your, your, hope you're spending your holiday with your friends and family and not watching the Denver Broncos do whatever that was in their approximate summation of a game resembling American football. Um, we're going to jump right into this and talk about the coaching change in, in, in Denver. And, and, and Brian, I believe you're so proud of the title for this segment. I'm just going to let you announce it yourself.
1: Uh, we're starting to say noting that Nathaniel can't hack it. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett became the fifth coach in the modern era to be fired before completing his first full season, joining the illustrious list of Urban Meyer, Bobby Petrino, Pete McCulley and Lou Holtz. The Broncos are an embarrassment, I think it is fair to say at this point in time. They're dead last in points per game. They're dead last in third down conversion percentage. They're last in a bunch of other things or near they're I think twenty-ninth currently in DVOA. They are just have been they've been a disaster. And Nathaniel Hackett's tenure has to go right up there with some of the
2: absolute worst in NFL history. They are not last in red zone offense anymore. Nope. Yeah, they've improved. <laughs> they have improved in red zone offense. They are not, which considering how bad they were in the first half of the season is kind of remarkable.
1: Yeah,
2: look, we were saying how long they would improve there. It's just that everything else also collapsed. So, yes. including the
1: defense over the past month, because they were first in DVOA or close to it for a while there. And now yeah, they were first different. for a
2: week and second a lot. And then seventh, uh, they're seventh now. And yeah, falling. Right. Like, yeah.
0: I, I do have to actually amend this list, Brian, because you have five names here as coaches who were fired in the first full season, including Bobby Petrino. Bobby Bobby Petrino would have been fired and deserved to have been fired, but he didn't was not generally fired. He resigned in disgrace uh, by cowardly leaving notes in his players' lockers and vanishing.
1: Yes. so I-
0: uh, that's a whole other issue. and and a good reason to consider him consider him as well as uh, the worst coach any of us has ever seen. We were talking right before we went on the air. The, the Nathaniel Hackett versus Urban Meyer worst head coach in the NFL history debate is a good one. Um, yeah. Because I'll say this for Urban Meyer, I don't remember a game the Jaguars played where they, they were getting into fist fights with each other and with the other team at the same time.
1: Yeah, I mean, they were too busy. Uh, he was too busy kicking uh, his kickers in practice to, to train them on the uh, proper aspects of fighting in all directions simultaneously. <laughs> See, that's what you get when you hire a UC Davis grad as your head coach, you know, thinking. Oh, poor Hackett. Uh, um, poor Broncos fans, honestly. The, the Broncos yeah. have now have missed the playoffs in the last seven seasons, ever since, you know, they went to the Super Bowl. That's the second longest active streak, and it's the longest streak ever immediately following the Super Bowl win. So we've talked before with the Rams somewhat about what would you pay, you know, to get your Super Bowl championship? What would you, What would you deal with afterwards? And, well, how about seven years of not even making it to, to the dance, even with the expanded playoffs? Number one is the Jets, right? The Jets are currently on a 12-year streak without making the playoffs. And, you know, they're, they're still in it. They're, they're, that could end this year. The Broncos they're could be. The yeah, Broncos could take that, that over.
0: The wild card races in both conferences are not exactly uh, – <laughs> everyone's tripping more themselves trying to get out of the playoffs, it seems. So
2: thirty-seven yeah. point loss to the Rams is the worst loss on Christmas Day in NFL history. Although it's not there isn't a history of Christmas Day games, although that is a, gonna change. Cause I have a feeling the NFL is gonna try to take over Christmas Day whenever it's yeah. even close to a weekend from yeah. now on. Yeah. There's been a chunk of them, but yeah, I mean
1: the previous record was Dallas's crushing the uh, Cow- the Cowboys crushing the Titans back in 2031 to nothing. This was more embarrassing. This cause this this was I mean, Russell Wilson started over three with two interceptions. Like they showed this on Nickelodeon; they broadcast this to children. Children had to watch this performance.
2: So this was uh, he wasn't supposed to do that. Says <laughs> Patrick Star.
1: Yes. I mean, if, if if that doesn't sum up the entire Broncos season, having Patrick Starr live broadcast your interception, I mean, I don't know what does.
0: And it, it's it's weird because they certainly weren't playing well earlier in the season, but the. They also had a number of very bad breaks or, or, or one or two bad coaching decisions. They, they were competitive and close. And they, they were all low scoring defensive games, but they were there. But then down the stretch, it's like momentum can build throughout the season, but also negative momentum can build throughout the season. And uh, the, the whole team feels like they don't want to be there. They're contractually obligated to show up and play a game. It's the only reason they're there. They'd rather be home for the holidays. And uh, it, it, it's, it's not good to watch.
1: Yeah, the the uh, the new ownership had had a press conference today explaining the uh, uh, decisions. They said they weren't planning on firing Hackett going into this week, but just just the complete lock of lack, the complete loss of control over the, over the over the team made basically forced their hand two weeks early. Uh, it was, yeah, I mean, you you hear sometimes so so and so has lost the team, so and so lost the team. That, this is the biggest example I've ever seen of a coach just completely losing just control over what's
2: going. You're on. You're not old game. enough for Rich Kotite.
1: Yeah, yeah I didn't, didn't watch him live, at the very least. But, but the offensive line yelling, and Russell Wilson yelling at each other on the sidelines, there's a great shot of, oh, is it Quentin Sun? I can't remember which receiver it is, just like j- screaming, like having a tantrum on the field mid-Russell Wilson throw that ended up being yes. an interception. You know, because like, he saw it from the minute that he, that he was open, there was a running line open, but no, Russ chucked it downfield into double coverage for the interception. He was walking off the field before the ball was caught.
0: Yeah, there, there, there's been multiple instances this year of wide receivers throwing tantrums because Russell Wilson didn't see them. It's a nightmare. It is an absolute nightmare. Uh, and and as the numbers here say, one of the worst games of his career.
2: Yes, yeah. ESPN's QBR had it as the worst game of his career. We had him with minus 95 passing DYAR. So it's one of the 10 worst games of his career by our numbers. And um, we also, we put notes down here how much dead money would be on the cap if you cut Russell Wilson? Yeah, next year, $107 million. It's,
1: it's impossible.
2: The, 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 the Broncos had, the,
1: In the press conference today, the Broncos are like, oh, we think Russell Wilson can be fixed. Well, well, I agree with that. You also have to say that because you have no other options. There is absolutely no way to, to do anything but bring Russell Wilson back as quarterback for the Broncos next season. It is the second hardest contract in the NFL to get out from under. You have to hope that whoever comes in can get Wilson back up to something resembling what he was in Seattle because this is just a millstone around their neck even before you take into account all the draft picks and, uh, and uh, everything they had to give up to get him. They can't really get rid of him until 2025. No. And even then
2: they would have 50 million, 50 million of dead money.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, Which would be a record, by
2: the way.
0: I think the Falcons took on forty to get rid of Matt Ryan. Yeah, forty
1: point five million, which is the current record for most dead money in the single season.
0: Which you, you, you can make fifty million
1: work, especially at the center cap game going on. You can make it work. Uh you could theoretically make 108 million work if you wanted to, you know, restructure all your players, screw up your future cap situation, and cut anyone with making anything whatsoever. But uh yes. no.
0: No, no, no. yeah the, the Rams this year have played eight different undrafted free agent rookies which is the kind of thing you have to do when you were in, in, in uh, cap hell and uh, draft pick hell. And uh, that's sort of the future the Broncos are looking at here. But also in the future for the Broncos, we'll be a new head coach. And we have betting odds on the new head coach. And Aaron, I know you are very excited to talk about these.
2: Yeah, the, uh, the interesting thing about betting odds for a new head coach is when they come up with betting odds for things like the over, under, or the spread, there's a lot of analysis that goes into that, a lot of analytics. There's no analytics that go into this. This is just pure guesswork, right? And it's also just schmuck bait. Like they put names on this list as schmuck bait, who you know are just not going to be real. So what's amazing to me is the names that are on this list and aren't on this list. Okay, Sean Payton at four to one is the number one guy. So before we go any further, let's talk about would Sean Payton want this job? Sean Payton would be... Tied to Russell Wilson for the next three years. Or two, two years, we thought? Two years. <laughs> two tied to Yeah, for the next two years. Plus, he wants to bring Vic Fangio with him as defensive coordinator. And Vic Fangio probably doesn't want to go back to his team that fired him a year ago, even though the ownership group that fired him is different from the ownership group they have now. Does, does it feel to you like Sean Payton would want to take this job?
0: I can't imagine why.
2: Yeah, I mean, like I have no idea what. But you
1: know, that, that's that's a retired level job right there. That's like if, you're, best if
2: you're Sean Payton, and let's just look at the three jobs that are currently open. Who are you more likely to resuscitate, Kyler Murray, the third or fourth best rookie? So let's say Will Levis,
0: or Russell Wilson. Uh, the highest ceiling there is probably Kyler Murray. Yeah. So, or you can have a fresh rookie, you yeah. Or you can have Russell Wilson. A floundering veteran sounds like the least fun of those uh, those options. So
2: after Sean Payton, Dan Quinn at five to one, Jim Caldwell six to one, Shane Steichen seven to one, and D'Amico Ryan's fifteen to two. Eric Bieniemy 9 to 1, Frank Reich 9 to 1, Kellen Moore 10 to 1. Elgiro Evero, the current defensive coordinator, 12 to 1. And Jim Harbaugh down by the way, 12 to 1. He turned it down because it made a little sense for him. What he, what is he going to prove in 2 games as interim coach that yeah. will help him get the head job? That's true. Um, but I would say I don't think it would make sense to put any money on a defensive name here. If you're Denver, you're, the goal of the next head coach is to fix Russell Wilson, don't you need to get a young offensive mind, don't you think, either young offensive mind or Frank Reich? Well, the, uh, the other alternative there is that
1: if you have so much work to save Russ, save Russ and, and fix the offense... Maybe you want a defensive head coach so your new coordinator can spend all their time and all their focus and stuff on,
2: on resusciting yeah, Wouldn't you rather have someone who's proven that they can do it on an offense than have some young whippersnapper who has never run an offense? Yes, absolutely. So that would so, mean you would want... So what surprises me is the names that are not on here. Um, ben Johnson from the Lions. Mm-hmm. Brian Callahan from the Bengals. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right, young, often young, hot offensive names. Stain Steichen is the one young, hot offensive name on here. What's hilarious is when you get into the later names. Yes, Brian Schottenheimer at eighteen to one. No, a reunion we've all been waiting for. Well,
0: I mean, Daryl Bevel at twenty to one. See now, now there's part of my brain here that says because you know Russell Wilson is what he is. Try to talk to somebody who knows him and has worked with him and knows what they're getting into. Because clearly, it's very clear Nathaniel Hackett did not know what he was getting into in many aspects, but certainly involving his quarterback. So there's a question of if they would be interested, but um, that it makes them at least worth picking up the phone and asking if they're interested in seeing what they think about the situation. I, Peyton, I don't think that's as ridiculous as some of the names further down the list.
2: Peyton Manning at fifty to one. That Ridiculous. the purple game being being an audition for his new head coaching future. Shannon Sharp at hundred to one,
0: <sighs> along with uh, Bill Cower at sixty six to one. I'm sure he'd love to get out out of his cozy TV job. Pey- Peyton Manning is you know he seems, he seems so miserable in retirement. Um, yeah. he'd, he'd want to be <laughs> and, and coaching without with no experience worked so great for his center. I'm sure he's going to follow that those footsteps. Gary Kubiak yeah. at 100 to 1. Yep. Yeah. Which actually is not completely insane.
2: <laughs> that one is not completely insane. Mike Shanahan at 100 to 1. Or John Elway at 100 to 1. Those sound insane. Yes. And my favorite, Pete Carroll at 100 yes. to 1. <laughs> Schmuck bait. Yeah. Schmuck. Fit. <laughs> I I'm just trying to picture
1: the sequence of events. Like, I, I, I would love to see it because I love chaos. Uh, that that would be the most hilarious outcome of this list.
2: I mean, I think that the most likely yeah. is an offensive coordinator, not necessarily one of the young guns. It might be someone like a Biennemi or a left witch. Um, I mean, Biennemi has the advantage of you steal from inside your division. Yeah. 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 Um. I think he's, you know, I I, I hope this is not racially coded, but I think he's thought of more as a manager of people and less as a designer of offenses. Okay. Well, at the moment, you need a manager of people. With Russell, you need a management of, you need a manager of people even more than you need a designer of offenses. Very,
0: very weird people. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot to say about this, but uh, a a lot of coverage in in, in Seattle, even before the trade, was how how Wilson has changed. I think, no, no. He's been a weirdo for a decade. You just weren't paying attention because they were winning a bunch of football games. He's always been this way. Maybe they kept it in the raps better. Maybe they managed it better, but this is who he is, guys. I think this is weird, weird, weirdo because he was a really good player. Right. Well, elsewhere in the list of really good players or people who were really good players actually probably still are for right now jj watt announces his retirement and if it hadn't been for aaron donald i'd probably call this guy the greatest defensive player of his generation uh when we started i we got the the uh, defeats numbers the the, the the idea for defeats um from someone else someone else we got the them from
2: roland beach who's a well-known NBA analytics guy who used Mm -hmm. to write a football site called Two Minute Warning when I started back in 2003. That was one of the very rare other football analytics sites. And that's where the idea for defeats comes from. And we currently have defeats counted for every season back to 1994. Mm -hmm. And Watt had 56 in 2012. Nobody else has ever had more than 50 in a season.
0: I believe that was the year he led the league in sacks and tackles for loss in run plays and passes swatted down the line. Which it's, it, I mean, beyond the, the obvious on paper uh, uh, idea of how difficult that is to do, um, it's really, really hard to be a dominant edge rusher and a dominant interior penetrating run defender. Because, one, by definition, you're usually looping around to the outside. The other, by definition, you're running to the inside where the run is going, and uh, <clears throat> it's usually an either-or proposition. You can be really, really great at one or the other, but very rarely both. JJ Watt was the best, the best at both. And
1: yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah that that five-year stretch before injuries got him um, matches yeah, up with good. any other defender in NFL history. I mean, I think I think it, his lack of longevity with all the injuries takes him out of the, the very tippy-top conversation there, but. When he when he was in in full form, I'm not sure there has been a better defender that I have seen. He is up there with anyone you want to name. He was a destructive force. Yeah,
2: right. I think if you talk about the greatest defensive player ever, you would have to favor someone like Reggie White because of the longer career. You know, I always talk yeah. about with best ever that there's peak in career. Mm-hmm. Like Watt is absolutely in the discussion for greatest defender ever, peak. Exactly. Sure. But his career, I think, was not as strong enough to be the best defender ever career was. Absolutely.
0: Because he had total about five or six good years. Uh, not a, a decade of great years.
1: Yeah, so, And in those five years he won Defensive Player of the Year three times. So, I mean, yes. it just absolutely just was the absolute peak. We'll be in Canton about three seconds after he's eligible. Like, absolute first ballot. Amazing player. And I'm I'm glad we he he he's retiring now. He he never became a shell of himself. I mean he's not he's no longer the same player as he was, but he's still he's he no, still, still pretty
0: good. Exactly. He's yeah. probably the best player on that team. Granted, the team is terrible, but um <laughs> he's, he's, he's the best a year. I mean, I'd say their best player is DeAndre
2: Hopkins, but he's the best player on that defense.
0: Yeah. But uh yes, JJ Watt, Aaron Donald, Lawrence Taylor, the only players with three defensive player of the year awards. And uh, so congratulations, JJ, on your retirement well-deserved. And we uh, wish you nothing but the best with your growing family, by the way. Um, His last home game was attended by his new baby. And I don't know if that influenced his decision or not, but it was a a nice moment. Uh, Let's see. Let's get to the red zone. We talked about the red zone earlier with Denver. We have a lot of teams here with – they they, they tend to play very well for about 80 yards of the field – and then those last 20 are a real problem. Brian, talk to me about some of these teams.
1: Yeah, Aaron suggested I put this in the list today, because I think he wants to talk about the Patriots, because while well, the Patriots are not particularly good on offense in general, they're 27th at the 27th in offensive DVOA at negative 10%, they are dead last in the red zone at negative 45%. That's the biggest gap between overall offensive performance and red zone
2: performance in the It's league. a nightmare. Yes. The good news about this, first of all, a reminder to everyone that you can get all these red zone numbers in the FO plus DVOA database by becoming an FO plus subscriber. That's my secret reason for wanting to talk about this on the show. But also, remember, red zone is much more inconsistent than overall performance. So when you look at teams that have a big difference between their red zone performance and their overall performance, You get an idea of where sort of random flukiness, right? Red zone is more important, but it's also more randomly fluky. And maybe for some of these teams where they might improve or decline in the playoffs. Uh, The Patriots will probably not make the playoffs, so they will not probably improve in the playoffs when the red zone performance reverts. But two other teams that are also bad in the red zone are San Francisco which is 26th in the red zone and seventh overall and Buffalo, which is 21st in the red zone and third overall. And that suggests that both Buffalo and San Francisco might score more points in the playoffs as their red zone offense comes to be more like their overall offense, which is scary. Yeah,
1: In general, I think you're right. There, there, are some, there may be some explanations why both of the teams might be doing worse in the red zone other than fluking this randomness. The Niners rely so much on yards after the catch. That's harder to do when there is right. less field to reach yep. the catch. Yep. And for Buffalo, Josh Allen just can't stop throwing interceptions in the red zone. I think that is – that is Right.
2: See, that's what I think is random, though. Yeah. I think that the Josh Allen throwing the interceptions in the red zone as opposed to throwing the interceptions elsewhere is a very random yeah. fluky. I don't see that continuing in the playoffs. I mean, I I think in the playoffs, he has the same chance of throwing interceptions in the red zone that he has anywhere
0: else. That's a big part of it, but, you you know, Brian's talking about San Francisco and and how their offense is built around, you know, yards after the catch, and it's hard hard to generate open space when you're at the uh, very end of the field. There's not much space to open up in the first place.
2: Kind of the same. They're also supposed to be built around run blocking, and so I would think, you know, if you're a good run blocking team, which they've been better over the second half of the year, you should be able to score more in the red zone. I wonder they're, if they'll be better that when
1: Elijah Mitchell comes back, because yeah, you know, as good as McCaffrey is, you want to have Christian McCaffrey more on the outside than pounding in the right. middle, it, it, ideally, especially when everyone else is constantly hurt.
0: They are a good run-blocking team, but if you look at their, their their history over the years, they're not good in short yardage. Um, they're, they're a finesse run-blocking team more than a power run-blocking team. And maybe, and I'm going to spitball in here, but maybe... That is the kind of blocking scheme that doesn't work as well in the red zone as it does in the rest of the field. Um, Maybe maybe you 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 need to just go all caveman and and fire straight ahead into the guy in front of you, and that's not what they do. Well, that's not what they do best. That's what they do best. But the kind of the same thing. Um, Buffalo, a lot of their a lot of their offense, not all of it, but a lot of it is Josh Allen scrambling for big gains and we know quarterbacks running in the red zone can be very effective, but it's hard to scramble for big games when all 11 defenders are within, you know, 20 yards of the line of scrimmage. So uh, perhaps these are reasons that these particular offenses are playing worse in the red zone than they are everywhere else. Um, there's probably, I'm sure there's some regression that will come too, but, you know, there, there, there's, there's reasons here that suggest this may not be totally random.
2: And then offenses that are particularly – good in the red zone. I think people know about Tennessee, because they've talked about it a lot on broadcast this year. So Tennessee is third in red zone DVOA, but 20th in offense overall. And then the other teams that are particularly good in the red zone, the Rams, who are sixth in the red zone, but 24th overall. And the Giants, speaking of teams that are going to make the playoffs, who are second in the red zone, but 15th overall, and I think that that suggests that the Giants might be in for a little offensive scoring yeah. decline. Yeah, yeah. The Giants have been um, punching above their weight class
1: all year long, and it's right. credit to 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 them for doing so. But yeah, it feels like a lot of what they were doing, especially the first half of the season, was unsustainable, and we've kind of seen everything fall off here in the in
2: the back half of the season.
0: And you can kind of say the same thing about Tennessee. They're they're oh. probably not going to make the playoffs now. But uh, strange things happen, happen, but they're the same thing as the Giants, where they, they, they keep – it felt like they were playing badly, but winning games somehow, and, and this is how. Yeah. When they get into scoring range, they get touchdowns, not field goals, and that is how you win games, um, even, even if it's not sustainable over the long term. But uh, it, that does explain a lot about Tennessee and the Giants, not so much the Rams, who have been a lost cause. Now, the other side of the ball, if Tennessee does not win the playoffs, that means Jacksonville does. And uh, their defense has not been good, well, actually most of the field, but especially bad in the red zone.
1: Yeah, they're dead last in red zone DVOA at the moment. Well, 27th overall, but uh, they drop uh, almost 20 points when they get into the red zone. So they have been uh, a sieve like <laughs> down around the goal
2: line. So if that re- if, there's, if there's a little bit of regression there, yeah. then that suggests more preventing of points for Jacksonville in the playoffs maybe they will be a little bit better in the playoffs than they have been in the regular season and the teams that are bad in the red zone include a couple of other playoff teams dallas which is second on defense overall but 15th in the red zone and tampa bay which is ninth overall but 21st in the red zone
0: which is interesting because those those last two teams are probably going to play each other in round one in the wildcard yeah. round It'll probably be dallas
2: So they'll both have improved red zone defense against each other.
0: Bet the under is what I'm saying.
2: (laughs) Um, And then teams, just to finish up, teams that are particularly good in the red zone, the Rams, again, on defense, are good in the red zone. The Lions, who are 28th in defense overall, but 17th in the red zone. And Washington... Which uh, still might make the playoffs. Tenth in defense overall, but second in the red zone. They have the biggest gap in DVOA between their overall defense and their red zone defense. Um, I'm going to I'm going to 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 uh, call an audible here and see if anyone has an answer to Tom Berman's question. Do either of you have an early feeling about the Bills at the Bengals on Monday Night Football, which is huge for the number one seed implications? Absolutely huge for it. I mean,
1: uh, it, it's, it, it's, it might well be the between the Bills getting the number one seed and the number three seed and having to play one of the better AFC wildcard teams because it's in Cincinnati. I do kind of like the Bengals in this one. I like the, I, I think that they they have been so on fire these the, the past few not not just in the second half against New England, but I had written the Bengals off for dead when they had faced the hardest schedule and they were doing so-so. But Over this past month, they have kicked so much into high gear that I kind of like the Bengals to take this one. Uh,
2: I hate to say this to Hitchhiker's Pie as a Patriots fan, but in order for the Bills to rest people in Week 18, Kansas City has to lose to Denver. Mm. It's it not going it. <laughs> it 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 to happen. New I know as a Patriots fan, we want it to happen. It's not going to happen. That bit the Bills are gonna have to play people in week 18. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think this is one of those games Bengals and Chiefs are the you know that they got Von Miller for and Von Miller's not there. Yeah. And that's kind of tough. But their their secondary pass rushers can get past whoever is going to be replacing Lael Collins. Yeah. So uh I'm probably Hakima Denijay. So um, I mean, I think it's a pretty close and even matchup. Um Yeah, I haven't done any, like, matchup breakdowns on it or anything, but it's pretty close.
0: My gut, and it's nothing but gut, nothing intellectual or analytical about this, but uh, the Bengals struggled so much out of the gate, and in hindsight, we maybe should have expected that because they were rebuilding their offensive line entirely, and it took some time on the field for them to gel, so it it makes sense why they would – kind of stutter and be an average team for, for the first uh, six, seven weeks there. And then we'll win. I, I believe they won seven in a row now. Um, now, on the other hand, I'll look at the Bills' schedule. They've won six in a row. And uh, the three games they have lost this year, two points to Miami, uh, three points to the Jets, and overtime to the Vikings. So, and at least two of those had absolutely crazy circumstances. Yes, the Vikings
2: one was total nonsense, and the Miami one was in a sauna.
0: Yeah. So uh they're they they're uh what, twelve and three here, uh twelve and three and 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 maybe better than that. <laughs> so I don't know. it's a big game. Uh, I feel like I know I know uh that the numbers say San Francisco has been the hottest team in the NFC for the past six weeks or whatever and and I know Dallas just beat Philadelphia, but I am still very confident with two weeks left in the regular season that Philly is gonna escape the NFC and get to the Super Bowl. I think the AFC is way more wide open. I think there's way more contenders there. These are two of them. Kansas city is there. I can imagine, uh, Baltimore when Lamar Jackson Our numbers still
2: really like Baltimore. If Lamar
0: Jackson is healthy. Yep. Yep. Um, and you know, it would not be the craziest thing if someone like a Justin Herbert or a Trevor Lawrence catches fire and just rips off a couple of upsets. So I, I think, uh, the, the NFC playoff field to me feels like a, a, a uh, uh, it's word, uh, uh, it's done already. Uh, 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 complete. Uh, thank you. That's the that's the that's the fancy literal term literature, literature term for that. Uh, the AFC it seems like a, a lot more possibilities. So a, a lot more, which makes it a lot more exciting.
1: Yeah, and with so many uh diff- so many so many live teams, the AFC at the bottom, of the NFC is probably not going to do very much uh in the playoffs with so many live outs in the AFC, getting that bye week, just avoiding that first round of games entirely. Right. Is huge, which is which is why you know the Monday night game this week is the biggest game of of the week, one of the biggest games of the year. Uh I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's going to be better than anything we have on Sunday, most likely. Yeah, I believe well, there's no to-
2: games on Sunday. No games on Sunday between two teams with winning records.
0: That's yeah. correct. Uh, the only to-
2: game this week between two teams with winning records is Monday night football. Yeah, yeah. old school best game of the week. <laughs> yep.
0: The 17-game uh, season here rearing its head with a lot of teams playing out the string and uh, a lot of mismatches down the stretch. And uh, that's the way it goes. But we're talking about this uh, NFC playoff race here, and uh, we can talk about some of these teams in the NFC North fighting for playoff position. The Lions and Packers, both currently in the top five in weighted DVOA. In
1: the NFC.
0: In the NFC. In the NFL. top ten overall.
1: But the top ten overall, above top five of the NFC, and they are the you know after you get past the uh, the Eagles and the Cowboys and the 49ers, they're next. Except both of them are currently out of playoff position. So the, the, so then the, they're not both going to get in. But both of them have played been playing really good football after being left for dead earlier in this season. Uh, the Packers over the last four weeks are fourth in overall DVOA. Uh, they're back they're now, just half game out of the playoffs. They are. I, I thought the Packers season was over. I, I thought they were done. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought it was time to see what Jordan Love could do. I thought, you know, this has been a disaster. The receivers aren't doing anything. And then, over the past month, um, they, uh, the, the receiver's name just escaped my head entirely. Christian Watson. That's the one. Christian Watson has been, uh, has been on fire. Finally, he's gotten some chemistry. Aaron Rodgers has got some chemistry with these rookie receivers. And they look like the Packers we've seen over the last couple of years. And then as for the Lions, well, up until this last week, they were good. The Lions allowed 240 rushing yards in the first half against the Carolina Panthers.
2: They had allowed 50 rushing yards the week before to the Jets. Yes. 50. They hadn't allowed the a 100-yard yeah.
1: rusher since week five, and they allowed 200-yard rushers in the first half against the Panthers. That was, that was my most surprising result of the week. They just got stomped into the
0: ground. Yeah. Uh, the, the Panthers are rallying the, the Steve Wilkes Express just keeps on rolling um, I think I mentioned this but he, he still has a chance to win more games for the Panthers in two-thirds of a season than uh, Matt Rule ever did in a full season which I, w- yeah. I would love to see as uh, the more I learn about R- Matt Rule, the more I, I dislike him intensely but he's a bachelor's problem now
2: the winner of week 18 Lions pa- uh, Packers Makes the playoffs forty percent of the time, but if they both win this week, then that game becomes seventy-five percent of the time.
1: Yeah, that that game, it, if if the cards fall right, and require I think a Commanders loss and a Seahawks loss. The Packers Lions game would be a play-in game in Week 18. Uh. So when we're talking about like what game is going to get flexed to the you know the the, uh, the the Sunday Night Football in Week
2: 18, it's still probably Jaguars Titans. But there are other options available. I think there's also a backwards flex. I think one game gets flexed Saturday night this year. So they could really use two of those games because yes. then they can play one of them on Saturday night and one of them on Sunday night.
1: Yeah, because the other, the other big tasty one would be the, the potential AFC North championship between the Bengals and Ravens. But they probably want the Bengals playing at the same time as the Chiefs and Bills for for bye uh, week and seeding options. So, yeah, it'd, yeah. Be nice, it'd be nice to have those kind of play-in games. And Packers-Lions might be one of those.
0: Uh, Detroit this week hosts Chicago, and the Packers host the Vikings.
1: The Minnesota Vikings, who are made of magic and craziness and everything we keep saying week after week
0: after
2: week after week. Best ever, in case people haven't seen me tweeting about this, they're the luckiest team in history compared to Pythagorean projection. Yeah. A full they have four four. four, four Four wins, 4.4 wins over their Pythagorean projection.
0: Like they're ridiculous. It's ridiculous. If, if you're not familiar, of... Py, 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 Pythagorean expectation, it just it, t- it takes points scored, points allowed, and figures out how many games you should win based on that. And the Vikings don't score many points and they give up a ton, but somehow they win a lot of games. They're basically equal. They're plus five in point differential. All right. Yeah, th-
1: this week it was a franchise record sixty-one yard field goal that, that won the game for them. Because why not? We've already done the biggest comeback in NFL history. We've already done fumbles at the goal line. Just the the they, check, they have a big checklist of every impossible way to win a football game, and they're just going down it as the season goes along. This it's an absolutely crazy. Uh, at the end of every season, I do kind of a uh, if all the one score games reverse. Kind of this is the alternate universe of things where slightly different. The Vikings are in dead last in the NFC if you flip all the one-score games in the NFL because they have won, yeah, they've won 11 games by eight or fewer points. Eleven and no losses, 11 yeah. no. That's an NFL record. No no team has ever won 11 one-score games in a season before.
0: No matter what happens to this team, if they win the Super Bowl, if they lose it, if they don't get there, no matter what, we need a good NFL Films documentary recapping all this impossible outcomes. Over, they, have over, over. The, they have
1: carved their place in NFL history, for sure, as the least sensible, most crazy team that I, we have ever seen. This is We keep saying it. It's, it's got to stop eventually. They can't win 16 one-score games and end up winning the Super
2: Bowl. It's, it's not going to happen. Yeah, they Either they're going to have to lose a close game, or they're going to have to win a big game. Yeah. So, something. Something has to happen. I felt a little bit
1: bad that we keep trashing the Vikings week after week after week. So I did some digging and I did find uh, some Justin Jefferson stats because it's worth at least celebrating that yes, the Vikings do do something as well. Jefferson, uh, the NFL is reporting that that he had had his 24th game with the more than 100 receiving yards. That's the most by any player in their first four seasons, which is especially impressive because this is Justin Jefferson's third season. So he's already cut that. So I dug into the uh, DYAR database uh, Jefferson has uh, 1,287 career uh, DYAR, and that's currently second most for a player for the first three seasons. Randy Moss was at 1,335, so he's about a 40 DYAR short of passing Randy Moss for the most productive receiver in his first three seasons by our numbers. He's already third through his first four seasons behind uh, Moss and Michael Thomas, so Jefferson is setting D-Y-A-R records uh, while the Vikings are doing whatever the heck they're doing everywhere else.
2: H- Checker's Pie wants to know if I'm still invited on the NFL Top 10 show. They don't do the NFL Top 10 show anymore, so I'm not invited on the show that doesn't exist. <laughs> the only appropriate way for the Viking season to end is the kicker missing a 21-yard walk-off field goal. Yeah, that, that, that would be appropriate.
0: <laughs> um, all right moving on elsewhere in the nfc brock brock till you drop brock brock never stop. the uh brock purdy and the 49ers continue to win and continue to rack up big numbers
1: multiple touchdown passes again he, uh, purdy is the only the second quarterback in nfl history to start his career uh three and oh with multiple touchdown passes in each game joining kurt warner uh, uh so i guess we'll have a documentary on purdy one of these days
2: purdy on a documentary I baby yeah. A biopic starring Zach Levy as Brock Purdy. <laughs> Absolutely. I was looking forward to that one. Coming to a theater near you.
1: Uh, I love this stat. Purdy is the fourth player with a, a touchdown pass of 30 or more air yards in San Francisco since 2020. None of them Jimmy Garoppolo. So Purdy's done it. Trey Lance has done it. C.J. Beathard's done it. Christian McCathery has done it, but no, none for Jimmy G, who uh, took over first place in DVOA
2: this week, didn't he? Garoppolo came Yes, from- Garoppolo is now number one in passing DVOA for the year among qualifying quarterbacks. That, that's Tua, been that, – Tua dropped below him. That's what kind of – Garoppolo, then Tua, and then Mahomes. I, for, for this
1: week, for my, for my uh, Thursday article, I'm doing the all-rookie team. And for the past month, I've been trying to talk myself out of having Purdy over uh, Kenny Pickett because you know, Pickett's played the whole year. I mean, he's the only quarterback who's played the whole year. Surely he wins by default. But every week that Purdy does something, it's it's, it's just it's that much it's that much harder to justify someone there's with, not... a, with the ne- deep in the negatives of DVOA under Purdy. No.
2: Updated individual defense stats are up on the Google Drive, by the way. Yes, there's some inside football for inside baseball, inside football for all the people who are watching. So that that'll help with that article. Yeah. Um, speaking of great rookies, by the yeah. way, Marcus oh, Jones, yeah. what position do you put him at? Uh returner. <laughs> that, that, that's what I'm putting him. A
1: spe- special teams guy. But, yeah, J- Jones, he's the only player in the last 75 years that were receiving punt return and interception return in the same season. which is he's, and, he, and he joins Deion Sanders as the only player with 40-yard receiving punt return and interception returns in an entire career.
2: And he's still a rookie.
0: Yeah. yeah, in games or whatever it is.
1: Yeah, it
2: gives you an actual reason to watch the plotting Patriots.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean Belichick. I, I want to see more on offense, and Belichick says we can't give him a full receivers workload. Like, yeah,
2: try try it.
1: I, I, I want to see that. He's, well, he's, with he's,
2: Jack Jones and Jalen Mills hurt, they need him on defense.
1: Yeah, but again, they're not going anywhere. So let's let's, let's play sixty minutes both ways. we are still
2: playing for it, but yeah. yeah. Is so, yeah, Troy no, Brown the most recent player to do a high number of snaps both ways? No, Julian no. Edelman.
0: Yeah. Patrick Ricard for many and years. Patrick Ricard. Losing. Yeah,
2: Patrick Ricard would be more, more, even more uh, – yeah. there was Nick Belore.
0: Nick Bellore, Nick Bellore does a lot for Seattle. There's a fullback Patrick, slash Patrick linebacker. Ricard, a, a, a lot, Ricard, I should yeah. say. A, a, and, I, um, even suggest, and then uh, if you're
2: looking for someone who is a wide receiver, it would be Julian Edelman. Yeah,
0: there there was that it's been a couple of years now, but – I once just filtered all players who who had played offensive and defensive snaps in the same season. Like there was like eight across the league, and four of them were Patriots. <laughs> because Belichick finds football players and has them make football plays. Yep. But uh, and the the, the two way team is a fun list, and uh, for, for, for purely for entertainment's sake, it would be more fun if it happened more often. Uh, one team that does not need any help from offensive players, one defense that does not need any help from offensive players, is the Philadelphia Eagles. Who are a threat to quarterbacks everywhere.
1: Yeah. The Eagles have now had six plus sacks in four straight games, which is tied for the longest in the Super Bowl era and the longest since the passing rules changed to make passing, the you know, 78 passing rule changes. They are, yeah. I believe, one sack away from having five players of double digit sacks, which has never been done before. They are, you know, the, the offense gets a lot of the hype because of what Jalen Hurts is doing and so on and so forth. That defense is a, is a, Threat to anyone, anywhere, anytime. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible to watch because it's not one guy. They like when I was doing pro voting and stuff like that. You have to give Eagles plenty of, of representation all over. But it's not like, well, this is the guy that's got to go in. Or this guy's got next sweat. You got right You got everyone coming from all different angles. All of them, you know, with you know, eight sacks, nine sacks, ten sacks. Like they are already. I think they're one sack away from their franchise record already with two games to play.
2: They will the, not have an All-Pro defender
1: yeah yeah,
2: they should but there's no no one is standing up so far above above everyone else
0: the uh i'm, I'm surprised here there's six plus sacks in four straight games that, that has not been done since the 1976 49ers as someone who watched some 1980s football and has studied a lot of it no bears team or no giants team or no eagles team for that matter uh from that era was able to do that which is it's kind of blows me away but sacks were way more common in the uh, 1980s than they have been anytime since
1: six is a lot I mean, six, six is a lot because if, if you if you're going down over and over again you're, you're running draws you're, you're doing anything you can to get the ball out of your quarterback's hands and the Eagles don't we're care alive. the Eagles are coming after you no matter what
0: all right Brian we right. have the playoff as, as, as you yourself labeled this year playoff nonsense yeah, uh, teams that can clinch and/or be eliminated this week. What, what what are the what are the stakes here in week seventeen?
1: Uh, all right, so it's weird because there are still so many teams uh, alive. We are this is this is it's unusual even under the seventh uh, the fourteen team playoff format to have so many teams still alive. Only four teams can actually qualify this week: the Giants, Commanders, Buccaneers, and Dolphins could all punch their playoff tickets uh, uh, with one week to play. But there are ten teams who are still alive who could get knocked out this week: the Commanders, the Lions, the Packers, the Seahawks, the Panthers, the Saints, the Patriots, the Jets, the Raiders, the Steelers. Like all these teams are just hanging on there at the fringes of the playoff race. Uh, you know, they—they're they, not all going to get eliminated, but we're going to see a lot of bodies fall. It's the mediocrity. Week. It's because the whole league yeah. is seven and eight right now. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've got six good teams, and everyone else is just kind of hanging around there trying to get in. To get into the tournament and see what they can do. We have we don't quite have an elimination game, but we do have something pretty close. The Jets and Seahawks is almost an elimination game. The Jets are out for the loss, no matter what. Uh, the Seahawks are out with a loss and a win by either the Commanders or the Lions and Packers. But that's the closest we have to like a play playoff game here in Week 17 because uh, you know the the loser is pretty much done, and the winner the winner gets to move on. The winner gets to have a relevant Week 18. And I, and Mike White's coming back, so I don't know. Maybe that tips it back to the Jets.
0: Uh, yeah, we we talked last week, uh, and, and you wrote off the the Seahawks win over the Jets as a theater complete to, to bring a full circle. anyway. Geno
2: Smith, uh, Geno Smith, um, revenge game, uh, revenge game,
0: right? And Pete Carroll revenge game.
2: Yeah,
0: but uh, you were talking about chaos earlier, and uh, uh, the idea of Pete Carroll coaching. Russell Wilson. What if Pete Carroll's coaching Russell Wilson, but somehow it's in New York with the Jets? <laughs> no, it's Mario not going to happen.
1: Pente's destroyed in the wake of, of the moves that would require that to
0: happen. But yes, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen.
2: Uh, Sleep, sleepy Time Junction. Your question about one trade to make a team an instant playoff contender is probably better for February.
0: Yeah, because uh, this
2: year everybody everybody's a playoff contender. They're all seven and eight.
0: Yeah, the, the most the most obvious one is the Jets getting a better quarterback. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. I don't know what quarterback could be available in trade. So, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I would
2: trade a competent offensive coordinator to the Patriots. Yeah, mm. yeah. That'd be, that'd be a good start.
0: <laughs> or or even just any.
1: Yeah.
0: Any offensive coordinator. Uh, technically, offensive technically, they don't have one right now.
1: The uh, Yeah, the, the Matt Patricia experiment. I, I, I want to read the long-form explanation of everything that's going on here. We'll, 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 ne- we'll never get it. We'll never get all the details. Never. I would love to know how that happened.
0: Never. Okay, well, I believe no. that is going to do it for us today. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank our friends at Underdog Fantasy. And I want to remind everyone you can play on Underdog Fantasy with us. And double your first deposit up to $100 with promo code OUTSIDERS. If your season-long fantasy teams are floundering, you can play Underdog's Battle Royale, a fast six-round weekly fantasy football draft with easier chances to win than traditional daily fantasy sports sites. You can even win $50,000 if you've got first place, or try their Pick'em Games, where you can easily pick players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines, even in states where trad- traditional prop betting currently isn't available. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy fantasy site around. Join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download Underdog in the App Store and use promo code OUTSIDERSNOW to double your first deposit up to $100. Uh, I want to remind everyone to sign up for FO Plus at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. You get your red zone splits, your third down splits, your home road splits and DVOA, NFL betting picks, fantasy advice, premium stats, premium articles and ad-free experience all of these are good things and i want to invite everyone to join us in the football outsiders discord as we get into the uh the final stretch here of the playoff race and then of course once the playoffs begin i believe that is gonna do it for the day thank you aaron thank you aaron thank you brian and most of all thank you the football outsiders listeners uh because without you there is no show that was fun let's do it again next week
2: Sounds good. Don't forget all of our shows, 1 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Eastern on YouTube and Twitch every day.